Thanks for listening to Matt McLaughlin History. Become a subscriber to receive exclusive bonus episodes, ad-free listening, early access to all episodes, and special member-only events. Click on the link in the show notes or visit patreon.com forward slash mmhistory. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A Living History Production. This is the Living History Podcast. Broadcasting live across the airwaves. Hello and thank you for joining me on Living History. It's two days since the Queen died. Well, really less than 48 hours since the Queen died. And what a momentous time it's been. I hope you're feeling okay. I know a lot of people out there are very sad and it's a it's a huge shock to a lot of people, a very huge change in all our lives. And I just wanted to sit down and, and share some of my thoughts. I'm in no way an expert on this subject. I'm not an expert on the monarchy and I know there's a lot of politics that revolve around it, particularly here in Australia where we are discussing and we have been for a long time the 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 shape of our nation to come and the, and the role of the British royal family. And I know in Britain as well, there's a lot of discussions about the role of the monarchy going forward and, and discussions about what future Britain looks like. But I think, I think to me, we can put all that politics aside on days like this and, and, and just look back at what is a remarkable legacy. And I think the first thing we should say is how unusual this is, the, the change of a monarch uh, in, in Britain. I, I read somewhere over the last couple of days that nine out of every 10 people who are alive today have only known one queen, which is absolutely extraordinary. Just the length of her reign, absolutely incredible. And looking back, if you'd been born in 1900 and had lived until you were in your 50s, which sadly most people, you know, many people did if they were born in 1900, you would have had six monarchs across the across the span of your life. So it's quite extraordinary that for almost all of us today, uh, we've only ever known the one queen. So an, an incredible reign. And what can you say about Queen Elizabeth? I mean, I think, again, politics aside and, and, and thoughts about the monarchy aside, she was, a, she was a great person. She was a great diplomat. She was a tireless worker. She believed very strongly in her job and was very committed to it. I think she was a great peacemaker uh, in many instances. She, uh, she, she seemed to have a great understanding of what, uh, of what the world needed. And uh, certainly a great diplomat when it came to dealing with other foreign leaders. Um, and I think it will be a loss. It'll be fascinating to see how Britain goes forward now under King Charles III. Uh, and I think in many ways with the troubles that the, the royal family have experienced in recent decades, it was the Queen that obviously held it all together. She was that link with tradition. She was that link with history that did, uh, did hold it all together. But I'll be fascinated to see what happens now going forward and, and, and the shape that the monarch takes the, and that the, the entire monarchy takes going forward. Um, and perhaps cometh the hour, cometh the man. Maybe this is Charles's opportunity to stand up and make some changes and, 
and 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 stamp his mark on this institution. But we'll we'll look forward to that with great interest, I'm sure. But from my perspective as a historian, I I, I just wanted to talk about what a historic occasion this was the changing of a monarch and you know we as we said we haven't lived through it before it's really quite remarkable and i just wanted to in order to put this in some sort of context i wanted to go back and and look at just some of the the events that have happened over the reign of elizabeth ii and to talk about what the world was like in a very different place the world was like in 1952 when she came to the throne as i said before it's highly unusual to have a monarch on the throne for this long um, we can actually look at it in some numbers and it's quite fascinating. So Elizabeth II was on the throne for 25,782 days, which is more than 70 years. So she is the longest reigning uh, monarch in British history. Uh, before that, it was Queen Victoria, who we all know as the, the longest ruling queen, um, but she was eclipsed by Elizabeth II because Victoria only ruled for 23,226 days. So a solid 2,000 days less than Queen Elizabeth II. So Victoria was on the throne for 63 years. And then George III is the, the third uh, longest-serving monarch, 21,644 days, which is 59 years. And then really we have to go back to the 16th century and even earlier to find monarchs who had spent that long on the throne. I was actually quite surprised when I was reading through this how many people over the centuries had ruled for a very, very long time. It's really quite extraordinary. We We have this perception that people from from generations ago, didn't live very long, but uh, it didn't seem to be the case when it comes to British kings and queens. There was a, a long history of, of long time, a long time on the throne, which is really quite remarkable. The other thing I wanted to look at was what was life like in 1952 when she came on the throne, because this was a very long time ago. I mean, for example, I'm a, I'm a mad keen Beatles fan, and I was reading the other day about the Beatles going to Buckingham Palace to receive their MBEs. You know, I think 65 that was. Um, it was the same queen. The queen that they met at that time was obviously on the throne. It's the same queen that up until this week we we all we all knew. So just extraordinary how long she's been there and how much the world has changed. So when when Queen Elizabeth came to the throne, the UK Prime Minister was Winston Churchill, if you can believe that. The President of the United States was Dwight D Eisenhower, the hero of World War Two, and the Australian Prime Minister was Robert Menzies. So. This is not just a different era. This is a different eon ago. This is extraordinary how long ago this was going on. In France, de Gaulle wasn't even the president yet. He didn't become the president until 1959. So this was before de Gaulle was president of France. This is a very long time ago, and how much has the world changed in these times? To give that some kind of context, the world population in 1952 was 2.6 billion, and today it's 7.7 billion. So effectively three times the size, which is quite extraordinary. Uh, the number of subjects that Her Majesty the Queen ruled over in that time and how much it changed. Um, the UK population, I thought this was interesting. The UK population was already 50 million when she came to the throne. And today is about 70 million or slightly under 70 million. So the UK has not expanded in uh, anywhere near as quickly as, uh, as the rest of the world has in terms of population. Um, I remember, I think anyone who lives in Australia... If you walk around public parks and streets and even shopping malls, often you see little plaques remembering when the Queen came to Australia for the first time. I think in 54 was when the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh came to Australia for the first time, soon after she'd been made Queen, which was quite extraordinary back in those days, uh, considering how far away Australia and Britain were from each other. It was quite extraordinary that the new Queen was coming to Australia um, and visiting uh, so soon into her reign. 
But I thought, well, how did you know? How did she get here? Obviously, she came on a long world tour. But I thought, if I wanted to fly from Sydney to London in 1952, or indeed in the 50s, how would I have done it? And the answer is, I would have been able to do it, but it would have been prohibitively expensive. So, firstly, I probably couldn't have afforded it. But even if I could have, it was a journey that took four days. This is by aircraft, by the way. A lot of people were still going by ship. But if you came by aircraft, by aircraft, it would take four days and you would stop on your way from London to Sydney. You would stop in Rome, Tripoli, Cairo, Karachi, Calcutta, Singapore and Darwin just to refuel in your four hour, uh, sorry, four hour, that would have been good, your four day journey. Just extraordinary. I mean, I think we look back on the glory days of flying in the 50s. I think it would have been a horrendous ordeal. No in-flight entertainment. He would have wanted to have a good book over four days. And often those aircraft didn't arrive. The, the the rate of crashes was terrifyingly high. So again, how far have we come? I just think it's extraordinary in the lifetime of this queen. Um, what about living conditions? The average wage in the UK in 1952 when the queen came to power was £452 per year. That was the annual salary, which is the equivalent of about £9,696 today. So... Not much money at all. I, I, I had to read that several times. I couldn't believe it. Less than £10,000 was the average salary in today's money. Um, and, of course, the rates were less than half of that for women. Um, so £452 a year was not a lot to take home. I'm not sure what it says. I'm not sure whether it says we were a lot more working class in the 50s. I'm not sure whether we were... Obviously, obviously we were much uh, lower consumers back then. So the you know, the, there wasn't the material things to buy. So perhaps we didn't need as much money. Real estate obviously wasn't as expensive, but it still seems a pretty low amount, less than £10,000 in today's money as the annual salary and only half of that for women. Uh, by comparison, the average income in the UK today is about £25,000. So it's it's certainly come a long way between the, the comparison of 10000 in today's money for the 1952 salary and 25000 today. Quite extraordinary. I might uh, get an economist on in, the, uh, in a future podcast to discuss that. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, some other things that were going on in 1952. The best picture at the Academy Awards was an American in Paris. Um, so... I haven't actually seen that film. If you've seen that film, let me know if it's uh, if it's worth watching. Um, but a couple of familiar names in terms of Best Actor and Best Actress. Uh, the Best Actor was Humphrey Bogart for African Queen in 1952. And the Best Actress was Vivian Lee. Ah, wonderful Vivian Lee for A Streetcar Named Desire. I mean, obviously an iconic year for pictures uh, with those pictures that, uh, that for Best Actor and Best Actress. Again, a bit of a golden era of screen 
in uh, in the world at that time, 1952. The best-selling song was Auf Wiedersehen, Sweetheart by Vera Lynn. I wouldn't have thought that Vera Lynn was still going so strong in the 1950s. We see her more as a World War II icon, but extraordinary that uh, Vera Lynn was top of the charts in the year of 1952. So I, I enjoyed that little exercise. I spent a couple of hours just just online, just reading some some facts and figures, just to try and paint an idea of what the world was like back then. And you think about it, we were a very long way away from even the space race. I mean, the space race was on in some respects, but we were a long way away from man walking on the moon, from from the space shuttle, from all the things that would happen in space. We were a long way from computing. We were a long way from modern automobiles and highway systems and it was just a completely different world uh, when the Queen came to the throne. Really quite extraordinary how far we've come. And I just, I think about that. I, I used to discuss that with my grandparents and my, my darling grandmother only died a couple of years ago. Actually, both of my grand, both of my beautiful grandmothers only died in the last few years, which is extraordinary considering I'm 48 now. And I was, um, I'm so lucky to have had them around for so long, but talking to them about the changes that they saw in their very long lives. They were, they were in their 90s when they passed away. They were of the Queen's generation. They were born in the 1920s. And I always loved sitting down and just talking to them about the changes and just the extraordinary changes over the 20th century they'd seen. And, of course, the Queen not only lived through those, but she was also paramount in a lot of the decisions that were made uh, that, that affected us all with, with technology, with world events, with foreign affairs, uh, and so much of those things. I, I've been listening with great interest to a lot of the discussions that people have been having about the Queen, and it's fascinating her role. The Queen really made this role of monarch her own in a changing time because to a lot of people, the the, the head of the royal family is just a, a figurehead. It's a ceremonial post. They, they rubber stamp decisions by the government. And I think to some extent that is true, and that certainly could be true in the future going forward. Obviously, in previous eras, the, the, the king or queen held a lot of power in ways that they don't today. Um, but I think it was interesting that Elizabeth II really made that role her own, and she walked a, a, very, a very narrow tightrope between the old and the new, because obviously she didn't have the same powers as someone like a Henry VIII or a Elizabeth I would have, would have wielded. But in the same way, she was so much more than just a figurehead, and I've been really enjoying hearing a lot of the stories about the work that she did. She had more than influence over, particularly, obviously, the British government. It was more than influence that she had. So she had some influence, but it was, it was much more than a figurehead. It was more than just influence. She had something between influence and power, I think you would say. Again, I'm not an expert. I'm, I'm paraphrasing much smarter people than me. But I think it was fascinating that that, that that narrow path that she trod, and she was so much more than a figurehead, and so much of the changes that we've seen in the world um, have had have been in some either large or small way influenced by what she's been doing on the throne. And getting back to our history roots, and I know we're all fans of military history as well, I thought, well, what, are the, what were the wars that were going on during the time the Queen was on the throne? And the answer is a bloody lot. There was a lot of going on. The 20th century, as we know, was just such a violent century. And even in spite of the, you know, the conflicts we've had in recent years and decades, we live in a remarkably peaceful time now. I think since the Second World War, it's been getting more peaceful, but there was still a, an awful lot going on that the Queen was involved in in some manner because Britain was involved in these conflicts. So just, just going through the list, obviously the Korean War was in full flight when the Queen uh, came to the throne. So the Korean War from 1950 to 1953, she came to the throne in 52. So the Korean War was in, was in full flight. 
the Malayan emergency that went on for years. Uh, she was she was heavily involved in that. The Suez Crisis, the Indonesia confrontation in Borneo between Indonesia and Malaysia, and I know for our Australian listeners, a lot of Australian troops were involved in that as well, and the repercussions are being felt in Australia even to today. Um, obviously, upheaval and warfare in Lebanon. Uh, the big one, of course, was the Falklands, and I think we could do a whole separate podcast about the Falklands War and the and the role of the of, of British decision making and the role of the Queen in and the royal family, indeed. You know, members of the royal family fought in that war, so a fascinating one, a little bit of an old school um, conflict in some regards in terms of the role of the royal family. So I think actually we'll note that down for a, a separate podcast on the Falklands War, especially since it was the the fortieth uh, anniversary uh, this year of the uh, of the Falklands War. She doesn't time get away. 40 years since the Falklands War in 1982. Absolutely extraordinary. And then the Queen was on the throne during the more modern conflicts, so starting with the, the first Gulf War in the, in the early 90s and, and then moving through the, 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 some of the humanitarian crises, Bosnia and Kosovo, and then, of course, to the modern conflicts, Afghanistan, Iraq and Syria. Um, Rightly or wrongly, Britain has been very heavily involved in these. Britain, I think, like Australia, has always been a, a wonderful citizen of the world. I think the Western powers in these, again, difficult times do a very good job of keeping the moral high ground. And I, I, I see this in Australia. I see this in Britain. It's why, it's why when our soldiers are accused of war crimes, for example, we prosecute them so so stubbornly is because we need to hold the moral high ground and i think it's something for all of us not to forget in especially in these modern wars which are very politically driven they're very sensitive wars uh, i think we should remember that that we go to these wars particularly ones like afghanistan and iraq where we are fighting against terrorism um by doing that we are taking the moral high ground and i think australia and britain in these conflicts whatever your thoughts are about the conflicts and we all have our own opinions about whether we should have even been there but the fact that we were there the way we fought those wars was uh, was by taking the moral high ground. And I think Britain, given she has some failings, but like Australia, um, is a very good citizen of the world. And that's why we see Britain over these years participating in so many conflicts. We should also note that during the time the Queen was on the throne, there was a range of conflicts in Africa in particular. A lot of the former colonies of Britain were were struggling for independence. And, and again, the Queen was a great fan, a great friend of Africa. The Queen, a lot of the work that the Queen did brought helped bring about independence for these nations and a bit of a bit of a contradictory relationship then that the uh, the nations of Africa who fought so hard for independence then still had a very strong relationship with the Commonwealth so the Queen was always a great friend of Africa and uh, did a lot of good work there um, and a lot of you know a lot of upheaval in Africa during her time on the throne which would have been very difficult for her to navigate um, of course not we shouldn't forget the troubles in Northern Ireland and the, the ongoing struggle which hopefully is you know there's a there seems to be more of a resolution now and Peace seems to have finally come in various forms uh, regarding Northern Ireland, which is wonderful to see after a very long time, after a century of, of struggle. So, I mean, it's it's well beyond me to discuss the implications of, of uh, Irish independence, etc. But, um, again, a very difficult time. Um, I won't go too much into the politics of this because, obviously, there's opposing views about the whole thing. But it's, an, it's interesting from a historical point to note that this was something the Queen um, had to navigate during her time on the throne. Um, and another one I thought was worth noting when I was doing this research, something I wasn't particularly aware of, the Cod Wars between predominantly the UK and um, Iceland for control of the waters of the North Sea. And uh, it, it, during the 50s and then again in the 70s and 80s, the Cod Wars flared up and was actually there was actually quite a risk of 
of an international incident here. So this was basically over fishing rights in the in the North Sea, and as the cod population has depleted, the fishing fleets have expanded throughout the North Sea, and it began in the 1950s where Britain was fishing way up in the waters around Iceland, and Iceland was determined to keep pushing their their fishing boundaries further out and further out. And it actually led to some extraordinary things. In the 1970s, the fishing fleets from Britain were being escorted by warships from the Royal Navy because there were serious concerns. And the the Icelandic Coast Guard was coming out to clash with them and there were ships were being rammed. And it was actually quite an ugly event. And we can laugh about it because it was all to do with fish. Uh, but it was so much more than fish. Obviously, it was to do with free trade. It was to do with, uh, with the international economies. It was to do with the free market. Um, and it was to do with money. It was to do with um, you know very large fishing fleets and, and the money that they make. And even to today, we still see uh, around the world um, issues to do with fishing rights and the, the rights of, of ships to, to ply their trade because it's just such a, an economic bonanza for countries around the world. So that was another one that the Queen had to negotiate while she was on the throne, <laughs> the Cod Wars in the 50s and the 70s and 80s. So like an extraordinary time. I don't want to make light of anything, but what I wanted to do in this podcast is just talk about how historic these days have been with saying farewell to the Queen and and welcoming a new king onto the throne. It's going to be interesting to see how the world plays out from this point going forward. The Queen was a very strong, stabilising influence on the royal family and indeed on Britain in many ways. And I'm fascinated to see how this plays out. So I hope you've enjoyed this brief little meander with me, just some personal thoughts about the whole thing. Um, I... I'm not a particular monarchist. I, I, I think Australia should move a little bit forward and, and look to ourselves for for identity and, and, and our future. So I, I I am a tentative supporter of a republic in Australia eventually, the right sort of republic. But even having said that, I had a real soft spot for the Queen, uh, both as a as a as a person. She seemed a, a wonderful person who did a lot of wonderful things, um, but also as a historic figure, as a historian, I. I enjoy being parts of these epic moments in history, and this is one of the biggest that we're going to go through in our probably in our lifetime. Certainly, in the next several years is the the changing of a monarch in Britain, something that virtually none of us have been through, and uh, just an extraordinary chapter of history. So, thank you for joining me for this brief little meander through history, discussing the Queen. Uh, we'll be back to normal programming uh, next week. I'm actually on my way, as I said in my previous episode. I'm on my way to Europe. I'm leaving tomorrow to head to Europe. Uh, to lead my signature tour of the Western Front. And I'm so excited. Thank you to everyone who's coming on that tour. There's about 25 people on that tour with me. Um, For those of you that don't know, this is the only tour of the Western Front that I personally lead. We do, gee, we probably do 2,000 people a year visiting the Western Front, but this is the only tour that I lead personally. And um, I love doing it every year with a, a, you know, a small group of people go to places that I enjoy going to and and seeing things. So um, if you want to join me next year, the tour is running in 2023 in, uh, I think it's late September 2023 or early October. I can't remember exactly the dates, but go to our website and and check that out. But I'd love you to join me on my signature tour. We're going to visit some pretty extraordinary sites. But I am super excited. I'm heading off tomorrow to go to Europe with my family, my wife and, and new son. We're going off together spend some time in Paris, and then I'm going to be back on the battlefields for the first time since 2019, and I absolutely cannot wait. So while I'm over there, I'll be producing lots of podcasts, lots of great content. I'll be back up filming. I know that a lot of you are very uh, fond of the documentaries I made uh, a few years ago uh, up on the Somme and uh, in Ypres. I'll be back up there again filming some more documentaries, particularly in Ypres, so uh, look out for those, Passchendaele, etc. And lots of podcasts. I'll be giving you regular updates on everything that's going on. Pete Smith, my co-host on Battle Walks, our other podcast where we do virtual walks of the battlefields, he's joining me on the tour of the Western Front. So Pete and I will uh, 
we'll do lots of updates on what we've been experiencing every day. Ideally, we'll be doing daily podcasts, so there'll be lots of content coming your way. But as always, thank you for for joining me on this journey through history. Uh, Thank you for listening today. Um, It's an an important and a sad moment for many of us, the, the passing of the Queen. And thank you for joining me on this episode to hear my thoughts about it. I'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review for the podcast and visit livinghistorytv.com for more great history content. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.